Hey, what's up guys, Travis here. And if you've been following me or my story for any length of time, you know that I started a company called Guestio about a year and a half ago now. And one of the things that we are doing this year in 2022 is we're building a concierge program called the Fast Pass that allows you to get booked on top quality shows and platforms for the purpose of spreading awareness for your brand, grabbing attention, uh, growing your credibility, your authority, et cetera, et cetera. And so if you are listening to this right now and you are a seven figure plus entrepreneur and you have a budget to bring in traffic, attention, credibility, authority to your brand, then this might be a really great program for you. Just head over to travischapel.com slash 10K. Why 10K? Because we guarantee in this program that you're going to be able to speak in front of 10,000 people within 90 days. Okay, 10,000 people within 90 days. Imagine getting on a stage in front of 10,000 people to share your message, your story. That's exactly what we are doing inside of this program through virtual stages like podcasts or virtual events or YouTube channels or blogs. You name it, we are working with it, and we are trying to get you booked on those platforms. So travischapel.com slash 10x. There's a quick application there, and then right at the end of that application, it'll prompt you to set up a phone call where you'll jump on a call with me, and we'll talk through whether or not you're a great fit for this program. Please act fast on this. Do not wait because we are only taking on one or two clients a week due to uh, constraints with our team and the limited supply of high quality shows and platforms that are out there in the market. So if that's you and you're really wanting to explode your brand in 2022, head over to travischapel.com slash 10K, fill out the application, schedule a quick phone call, and you and I will chat really soon about whether or not this would be a great fit for you. Thanks, guys. Talk to you soon. Hey, this is Peter Kozadoy, author of Honest to Greatness. And if you want to learn how to find greatness in your network, you should be listening to the Build Your Network podcast with my friend, Travis Chappell. Welcome to the show. I'm Travis Chappell, and I chat with some of the world's top business influencers, thought leaders, and entrepreneurs in order to crack the code of networking. I believe that who you know is more important than what you know, and that your relationships ultimately determine the person that you become. So if you want to learn the new way of connecting, you want to fill your network with quality people and skyrocket your results, then you're in the right place because this is the Build Your Network Podcast. Hey, what's going on, everybody? Welcome back to another episode of Build Your Network. Today, I'm sitting down with Peter Kazadoy. Peter is an Inc. 5000 serial entrepreneur, TEDx speaker, and author of Honest to Greatness, how today's greatest leaders use brutal honesty to achieve massive success. His articles on leadership and entrepreneurship have been featured in Forbes, Inc., HuffPost, PR Daily, and many, many more. He holds a BA in economics from Brandeis University and an MBA from Columbia Business School and lives outside New York City with his wife and their spoiled dog. It's going to be such a great conversation with Peter. So many things that we're going to get into. But first, really, really quickly, let me ask you a question. Have you ever tried to book a big name for your podcast or YouTube channel or summit, but you're just getting lost in email hell? You're getting locked out by gatekeepers and unable to confirm dates with them. Or maybe you just want to bring more attention to your content and your business by being a guest in other people's shows. These are the exact reasons why we went ahead and created a really cool software tool called Guestio, which basically allows you to go in and find, book, and manage top-tier guests and shows that you actually want. So you can discover new guests and platforms, pay them directly through the site, and get them scheduled now. Schedule directly on their interviews with the integrated booking calendar. Communicate with our built-in messaging system. Download easily, easily shareable press kits and media kits so you don't have to worry about all these emails that go back and forth. 
Um, and you can manage all that from one dashboard. So go head over to guestio.com today to go check out some of the amazing guests that are featured over there, like Jordan Harbinger and Lori Harder and Manny Pacquiao and Brandon Turner and several others. Um, that's guestio.com, G-U-E-S-T-I-O.com. Peter, what is up? Thank you so much for joining me on the show today. Pleasure to be here, man. You're the last of the day and then it's uh, Malbec time. So yeah, oh, this is going to be wonderful. <laughs> yeah, perfect. Just a, a really great runway into Malbec time. Sounds That's like a it. good decision. So I want to start off by building a little bit of context here. Obviously, you have an amazing resume that we just read off here at the beginning of the show. But I'd like to provide a little bit of context for those listening and talk a little bit about uh, early days, Peter. And let's, so let's take it back. Let's say 10, 11 years old. Talk to me about you know, what your parents were doing, you know, where you grew up, stuff like that. Oh, wow. We never go back that far. That's fun. So I grew up south of Boston on the South Shore, beach town. Had a lot of fun as a kid. Pretty early on, my parents realized I was a complete pain in the neck at school. I'd you know whip through things and then be bored, and the teachers didn't want to deal with you know kid that whips <laughs> through things and be bored. So sure. they pretty quickly told my parents like you got to get get them out of here. So um, when I was in uh, sixth grade, I applied to uh, one of the feeder schools for uh, Harvard and Yale, and uh, ended up there for six years, which was. A fantastic experience. I didn't appreciate private school until I ended up in college at Brandeis. And I was like, this is it? Like, when do we do the hard stuff? You know, uh, <laughs> um, yeah. which was fun because then once I got to, to Columbia, I was in class with, you know, some extremely impressive people that, you know, really did challenge me. So that, that was fun. But I'm jumping ahead. I'd say the other thing that marks my early days was that I was a figure skater, very serious, seriously competitive figure skater. I mean, mm. had Olympic aspirations and the whole deal. And very fortunately, my parents put my uh, sister and I into everything. Like we were in swimming, musical theater, skiing, figure skating. I mean, you name it, we did it. And wow. it was really great because I got to experiment with a lot of different things and figure out what I really liked. And I, over and over again, I kept coming back to figure skating because it was so, so, so difficult, you know, much more challenging than, than anything else at the time. And the girls were stunningly beautiful and, you know, I was the only guy. So that, that did not hurt. Yeah, that's fair. That works to your advantage for sure. Exactly. And it did. I, you know, my wife's a figure skater and she's I've been told that I'm overchicked, I think is the term. And it's <laughs> entirely true. And that never would have happened without uh, the magic of figure skating. So <laughs> it sounds like you had a natural proclivity as well as a encouraged curiosity around a lot of these different things. Do you attribute the success that you had early on with academics and stuff like that to? those types of things? Or do you think that you were just kind of pretty good at school and academics and learning new things just kind of naturally? I'm a natural elitist. Like I want to be the best at mm. whatever I'm doing. And okay. I want to know that. And I want there to be proof of that. And I want others to recognize that, right? You know, my definition of that has changed over time, you know, to be much more lift others oriented, right? I mean, now sure. I coach, you know, hundreds of entrepreneurs and and help them achieve success. And that's now what excellence means. But in the beginning, it was, a, and you made the comment about my resume earlier, I worked really hard on that resume. So that yeah. when I got to podcasts like this, there is a list, right? There's, you know, Forbes and Inc and Inc 5000 and MBA and this and that and the other. And that was important to me as part of who I was. And a lot of that, Travis, came out of my, you know, dismal turning 30, realizing I hadn't done enough of my life and, and really having to put the screws to myself that's where, you know, this whole message of just strategic brutal honesty comes in. It's, I found that 
I hadn't been completely honest with myself about all of the things that I did want to achieve that were an important part of who I am and my identity. And out of that, you know, really came a lot of the achievements I was able to get to just, just A, being honest about what I really wanted and then B, getting honest about you know, what it took to get there. Interesting. So can we talk a little bit of timeline then on some of those accomplishments in terms of, you know, you mentioned Brandeis and then you mentioned Yale and then you mentioned coming to this point of being 30 and not accomplishing the things you set out to accomplish. Can you kind of just piece some of those together in terms of a timeline? Yeah. I mean, at 17, I was, uh, you know, convinced of two things. One that I would go to the Olympics, right? I was, you know, really heavily training at that point. Mm. And the other was I was you know, convinced I was going to go to Harvard. I had several family members go. I grew up on, outside of Boston. There was only one school, right? I was like, yeah, I'm going to Harvard. That's just like the natural way that life was going to go. By 18, both of those things had fallen apart. You know, it was clear I was not to make it anywhere close to the Olympic team, which was, you know, a real bummer. And uh, I applied to Harvard. Harvard sent me a very nice letter back saying, thank you, but no, thank you. And that was <laughs> the first kind of big devastating, you know, time in my life where I really had to rectify I was on path A and now all of a sudden I'm, I'm on path B. And it's like, wait, I didn't sign up for this, right? Mm, like I signed yeah. up for that over there. Wonderful thing is it puts two giant chips on, on one shoulder to go fuel an entrepreneurial venture. So I started you know, my first company right out of college. And I know this is a networking podcast. And we basically built a million dollar business networking. Wow. You know, going into our local chamber, I ended up on the board of the chamber. We'd be at everything. We'd stay late. We'd make sure everyone knew us. We'd sponsor things. You know, we were, after many years of, of you know, overdrafting the bank account and not knowing what we were doing, we eventually <laughs> did get yeah. to that, that seven and the multiple seven-figure level in the Inc. 5000 list. And right around then is when I turned 30. And that was like the next devastating point where for some reason I realized, Travis, that that episode between 17 and 18 had knocked me down into like the acceptance of a second best version of self, Right. I was like, well, I'm not going to be the first best version of myself. That ship sailed. So I guess I'll just, you know, settle. And that's when I really had to get, you know, as I was saying earlier, like re-honest with myself about, no, like that's not, that's not a thing, you know. And one of the, the things I decided was that I really did feel incomplete without a graduate degree. And that's when I, I applied to Columbia and went to get an MBA in New York. And it's amazing how stupid I was and how much that taught me. Uh, you know, here I was running a seven-figure business and I realized quite quickly that I didn't even know many of the basics that I needed to understand. And of course, that's where you know Warren Buffett went. You know, he went, learned all of his value investing in Columbia. I had actually done an event for him as a client uh, in Connecticut. So it was fun to piece those together and just sort of come to a, a better global understanding of how the business world works. What would be your advice to a young person now that wants to follow a similar trajectory that you followed? Like, do you look at school being like step, like necessary stepping stones in that process? Having, because you have a really unique perspective, unique story there is that you went and got a bachelor's and then you went and started a business that was successful, you know, by all definitions of the word successful, but then also you know, it's like you just said, you went back to school and thought, wow, there's so many things that I still don't know. What would your advice be for a young person that's, you know, coming out of high school and has these big dreams of entrepreneurship and business? Well, it's a good question because I get asked, you know, what, I was just asked by another fellow, you know, seven figure entrepreneur, like, why did you go get an MBA? <laughs> you didn't yeah. need it. And I said, you know, let's define need, right? You know, we're on Maslow's hierarchy of needs, you know, Maslow, by the way, also a Brandeis grad. And, you know, after food, water, and shelter, there's just self-actualization left. So what, what do we need after, you know, food, water, and shelter? So when you look at it in that way, I have a different way of, of sort of 
figuring out those kinds of big questions. And I think to me, the question is, who are you? You know, be honest about who you are. What are your core values? What makes you happy and excited and thrilled? It was part of my identity to have an Ivy League MBA. I told you I was an elitist earlier, right? That's the thing sure. about writing a book about honesty, Travis, as I get to be honest. Um, <laughs> but it was just like, that's who, when I think, when I close my eyes, I think like, who am I? That's part of it, right? I own a million dollar company. That's part of it. And I live on the water. That's part of, that's part of who I am. And for those who are struggling about, you know, what do I do? I, I want them to come out of the what and even out of the why, as fellow Brandeis alum Simon Sinek likes to say, because how do you know why you do anything if you don't know who you are in the first place? Hmm. So for that high school kid coming out, it's like, you know, picture yourself at 30, at 40. What does your life look like? And then the question is, if that's honestly a reflection of who you are and what you think will make, make you happy, then it's just simply a matter of going and doing those things. And this is the important part, Travis, blocking out all of the reasons why you shouldn't do it or mm. couldn't do it or mom and dad think it's a bad idea yes, or sibling, right. you know, like none of that actually matters. And that's really the gist of it. And you mentioned earlier that your parents did a really good job of putting you into just multiple, multiple facets where you could kind of experiment with different opportunities and, and take, you know, like you said, musical theater versus figure skating versus sports versus all these other things that you were doing and then academics and then putting you into a different academic school to help you excel in those things. How big of a role does that play? If somebody's listening right now and maybe they're, they had a different family situation growing up that didn't, you know, provide or push them into different opportunities where they could kind of get to know the things that they like and dislike, do you find that it's even really a doable task to imagine a future that you want to accomplish without having tried a bunch of different things? Or how do you kind of navigate those waters? Ugh, there's so much to unpack in, in what you're talking about. Because there was a, gosh, I, I wish I could remember what I was watching. It was some great documentary. And there was a, a behavioral scientist on there that conducted an experiment. Basically took a Monopoly game and he gave one person double the amount of money to start with, double the, the dice set, basically a double advantage. And then they'd play the game. And over the course of the game, the person who started out with an advantage would, of course, win every single time because in Monopoly, it, it matters you know, mm. how many pegs you can move and, and yeah. how much money you have to buy properties and so on and so forth. And at the end of the game, he would ask them, like, why do you think you won? And he said, of all the, the experiments he ran across socioeconomics, across ge geographics, like across every segment of the population, age, whatever, not one person would ever say, well, it's because you gave me an advantage starting out. Wow. They always said something like, I don't know, I'm a great player. So I'm not one of those people. I mean, I would have, my parents gave me an incredible platform, an incredible starting point. I mean, my dad himself has a master's degree from Columbia. My mother was a loan officer at a bank. I mean, these are incredible, successful people. Even growing up in that environment gave me a frame of reference that is like, oh, this is what normal looks like. This is what people do. And I think that's what a lot of folks misunderstand about folks that don't get that opportunity, that upbringing is environment really matters. And one of the things mm -hmm. I've done that I've been most proud of is I've had the opportunity to, to be on the board of junior achievement and go into schools, you know, some schools in, in communities that are much less fortunate than ones that I'm, I'm grateful to live in. And giving those kids the entrepreneurial hat and being able to tell them, hey, you can actually control your entire destiny and life and do amazing things. And you can do all of this, but by the way, you're not going to be able to do it staying in the systems that you see around you, adopting the mindsets of the folks that you, you, you know, brought you up and like all these other really difficult, like challenging, like core value challenging things. So, you know, 
I think every person that has grown up with any sort of advantage, parental or otherwise, it is a really nice thing to, to pause and reflect and acknowledge that, you know, you start from nothing is a relative term, right? Sure. And for those who truly don't have anything, my gosh, is entrepreneurship the great equalizer? Hmm. Because yeah. you know what? Nobody, when I was a 22-year-old trying to sell someone on a $10,000 video, or when I was a 26-year-old trying to sell you know, big institutions on a million-dollar ad campaign, do you really think they cared what my upbringing was? Yeah, no. right. They cared about what my sales skills were, what my communication skills were, about what my passion was like, mm. how sharp I could be on their behalf. And so anyone with the basics of that and, is, and who is willing to you know, put themselves out there and take some risks can do enormous things, can be much more successful than I have been even. And that's what I I love most about getting into business for yourself. This episode of the show is brought to you by Indeed. We are driven by the search for better. But when it comes to hiring, the best way to search for a candidate is not to search at all. It's to match and match with Indeed. If you need to hire, you need this platform, guys. I'm telling you, Indeed is your matching and hiring platform with over 350 million global monthly visitors according to Indeed data, and a matching engine that helps you find quality candidates fast. Ditch the busy work and use Indeed for scheduling, screening, and messaging candidates so you can connect with those people even faster. And it doesn't just help you hire faster. In fact, 93% of employers agree that Indeed delivers the highest quality matches compared to other job sites, according to a recent Indeed Survey. And look, guys, one of the things that I wish I would have used Indeed for is this matching service. You can search and search and search and search and search all day long, but to actually be presented with quality candidates, like 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 hiring a a recruiter for you that's presenting people that has actually done the work to vet them and uh, bring quality people in front of you, that work by itself is the fact that it's done by a software instead of like a team of high quality recruiters. Is, is pretty insane. So they leverage over 140 million qualifications and preferences every single day, which is why Indeed's matching engine is the best one that you can use. It's constantly learning from your own preferences. So the more you use it, the better it gets at doing the job for you. Join more than three and a half million businesses worldwide that use Indeed to hire talent fast. And listeners of this show will get a $75 sponsored job credit to get your jobs more visibility over at indeed.com slash Travis. Just go to indeed.com slash Travis right now and support this show by saying you heard about Indeed here on the podcast. Indeed.com slash Travis. Terms and conditions apply. If you need to hire, you need Indeed. So kind of go back into your story here, Peter, talk to me about now we're up to around 30, you decide to go back at your MBA. Next steps after you're done with that program, what do you do? Because I'm a masochist, I do everything all at once, right? I'm like, a, <laughs> I have like entrepreneurial ADHD. So yeah, what, what's that like? I wonder, <laughs> I wonder what's no, that like. Man, <laughs> bad news bears. So, you know, I'm only 34 now, right? So we're talking about between 30 and 34, I um, figured out I wanted to be a writer, started writing for uh, Inc., had a column there and and for Forbes and a bunch of other places, started doing podcasts, getting the message out there. I knew I wanted to be an author. Again, that was one of the things that was like in my DNA. I am an author. It's who I am. So I sat down to write a book that I thought was a marketing book. Turns out, well, you know, let me put it this way. Sat down, wrote a marketing book because I was pissed off about what I was seeing in clients and how stupid many of them were 
in terms of their marketing uh, strategy. And it basically came down to they weren't being honest about what their customers needed, what their employees were saying. Like they were just Mm -hmm. sort of like trying to pretend to be everything that they weren't in their messaging. Kind of living in like an alternate world where they're flawless almost. 100%. And meanwhile, the the clients we had who were able to to admit that and, and be honest and use honesty as a weapon, which is what I talk about in the book, they just like crushed it. I mean, we made them millions of dollars. And so, you know, I was frustrated about that. So I sat down, wrote a book, queried 400 literary agents. Most of them didn't get back to me. Many did and said, please never email me again. You're never going to be an author. This is terrible. I got three meetings and one signed me. And as soon as he did, he was like, hey, Peter, this, this is great. But this is not a book about marketing. It's a book about honesty. And I said, well, clearly you're the one literary agent who can't read, which maybe explains why you, know, you signed me because <laughs> yeah, right. there's nothing to do with that. And of course, you know, he was absolutely right. It was much bigger than marketing. It really is, you know, a book about what we believe as a community and society and how mm. leaders actually end up dominating their industries and, and do they do it by lying or do they do it by honesty? And what does honesty even mean? You know, that spawned an entire other platform, coaching, consulting. I do workshops for CEOs. I speak around the world. I'm speaking in Kenya next month. I mean, mm. yeah, next month. So, you know, the, doing big, bold things teach a lot, open doors, you know, but it was a very expensive you know, procedure for me to go through, very <laughs> yeah. time intensive. You know, my wife will tell you how many hours and hours and thousands of hours were spent, you know, absorbed in a computer, right, to, to yeah. get this stuff going. So there's a price and there's a cost. So the book is called Honest to Greatness, How Today's Greatest Leaders Use Brutal Honesty to Achieve Massive Success. I like the use of adjectives in there, the word brutal, the word massive. Can you speak to that word brutal a little bit more? What exactly do you mean by that? Yeah, you know, it's, it's easier to start with what we don't mean. You know, people got very excited when they found out I was writing a book about brutal honesty. They were like, oh, that's great. I tell people like it is all the time and I wear my heart on my sleeve. And, I, and I'm like, well, that's cool, but that, you're probably not honest. You're probably just a jerk. You're probably just an a-hole. <laughs> yeah, there's you know, a big difference, right? Yeah, like, so, you know, when it comes to brutal honesty, it's about strategic brutal honesty. Sometimes you need to be brutally honest with yourself. Sometimes you do need to be brutally honest with someone. Yeah. Most times, Travis, we need to be brutally honest about people. Really dive behind the person sitting across from you to understand, like, what are their thoughts, feelings, desires, emotions? You know, what are they going through? This is where, like, deep empathy comes into play. And so often we forget to be honest about those around us and be brutal in our assessments. And, and because we don't do that and because we live in our own heads, we miss so many opportunities on a communication and leadership level to make great things happen. Yeah, it's interesting the, the timing of this because it's something that I think applies across the board. And I know that this is mainly for a business audience uh, for people uh, who are in leadership roles and, and companies and, you know, marketing and those types of things. But this is something that, that has completely revolutionized my wife and I's relationship over the past couple of years is learning what brutal honesty really means for us and something that has really allowed us to be able to work through a lot of issues that we've had by brutal honesty, honesty that sometimes you know might hurt the other person. You're not exactly sure why you're feeling it or what the the solution is, but just sharing that information helps the other person, obviously, if they are set to receive that honesty in a uh, more respectful type of a way, at least helps them to see your side a little bit more, to have a little bit more empathy for your side of the equation. Have you, have you found anything similar to be true across all relationships? Oh, I mean, it's helped my relationship tremendously. I mean, yeah. just the whole notion of honesty relates to personal responsibility. I mean, it relates yes, to right. uh, communication techniques. I mean, 
I basically banned the words you should from my vocabulary. Like Hmm. it's very difficult for me to get me to give advice to anybody. Why? Because that's a completely ego driven thing to do. Give someone else advice. You have no idea, right? I have no idea what someone's going through and what, what I'll do is I'll, I'll share an experience with them. Right. So I'm not going to tell you to do something with your wife. I'm going to say, listen, you know, there was a point in time where my wife and I were coming into conflict and I said, you know what? There's something here I don't understand. And obviously what's going on now isn't working. Right. That's honesty. Hmm. So I'm just going to pretend that everything, all the conflicts we have are my fault. I know it's not, I know it's her, but I'm going to pretend it's me, right? And, and so if everything were my fault, what would I do? Well, I would change my behavior, my reactions. I would do things differently. I would always say I'm sorry, et cetera, et cetera. And you know what was weird, Travis, as soon as I implemented that? Turns out it was all my fault. So, you know, <laughs> we, we so often don't, we assume things away that simply aren't true. And so yeah. one of the things that I, I encourage everyone to do is just stop and take a beat and ask, like, is that true? And how do I know? Is it, right. it, well, I'm coming into conflict. I can't believe, can't believe my partner acts that way. It's like, okay, well, is it, like, is that true? You know, what, what part of that's true? What part of that's not? Because unless you get to what's true at the center, then you're just operating off of a complete falsehood and you will 100% be led astray. Sure. And be holding resentment for years and years on end, especially in those types of relationships, for sure. Um, I found this topic very, very interesting. Obviously, this is the Build Your Network podcast. talk a lot about relationship building and connections in general. Do you find that there is a disparity that should exist between the level of intimacy in a relationship versus the level of honesty that's shared in that relationship? In ter- like if you think about it in terms of like a networking setting or a business relationship setting where you just got to know somebody, is there like a line where it's like, hey, I just met you yesterday. You're being really honest with me, which is cool, but also kind of weird because we don't really know each other. Is there any sort of other social dynamics to be aware of with this? It's only weird when it's unexpected, right? If I come to, if I come on your podcast and I'm like, Hey, you know, I wrote, I wrote this book on honesty. So I'm typically, you know, pretty honest and that's kind of my MO. Is that okay? Now you're set up for it, Mm. right? So now when I launch into this story, you're like, Oh, Peter told me that that's how he is. This is, this is making sense. Hmm. Whereas if I don't preface that with you, and then I just tell you this, you know, story about how I turned 30 and got depressed. <laughs> you're like, okay, dude. Like, yeah, like we just met. Right? Yeah. Like, where's this going? Yeah, buy me so, dinner first. Yeah. Yeah. So part of it, like with communication and networking, is telegraphing who you are, what your core values are, and how you behave. Actually, hmm. talking that through. And, and therapists will tell you this about intimacy, like physical intimacy in a relationship. It's like talk through what you're going to do with your partner. It's actually a really important, you know, part of that sort of closeness. Hmm. So, you know, it's, it's the same thing with establishing business relationships. I try right off the bat when I'm networking to ask people, you know, really interesting questions that are very counterintuitive. Like, you know, you're here selling whatever, whatever. If you could do something totally different, what would that be and why? You know, and just get them to step out of the actual business and networking thing to have a human conversation. Uh, I call it getting them off of autopilot, you know, because everybody's got those canned responses because everybody asks the same old boring questions to everybody else. So when you come to the table with something more interesting, unique, you can oftentimes get that person to actually be a real human again, which I think is the basis for a genuine connection in the first place. And Um, that's where the relationship actually begins. Like that's not where to take, like as a networker, that's not where you take it over time. Hmm. start it with like, what's going on in life? I mean, I, I had a great vendor I was working with and he said, 
you know why I sell so well? And he was a brilliant salesperson. I said, no, I mean, tell me, because he, he's so good. I knew, you know, I've listened to him sell. He's excellent. And he said, I spend, I have a rule. I spend 15 minutes becoming that person's best friend. Hmm. It has nothing to do with my company, their company, whatever. That is what I'm doing for those 15 minutes. I am becoming their best friend. That is the part of the sales process I'm in. Hmm. And it frees me, you know, and he, he, what he told me, he's like, it frees me from any of the typical stuff I could possibly do. I can't give them an elevator pitch. I can't, I can't do any of the things you would do while you're developing a best friend, right? Right, exactly. Treat it, it's a friendship that starts off as a relationship instead of, I think people, too often people treat it as a in-person cold calling opportunity. Like they're going door to door, but in a room with a bunch of people. So it's up to them to prospect and sell and book business on the first point of contact instead of, like you just said, starting it off as a friendship and, and doing it that way. So could not agree more with you on that. Peter, I have to ask you this question because it's the, it's the one I ask everybody that comes on the show. And I'm interested to hear what your answer will be because you have, uh, again, a very unique perspective. You believe in relationship building, but you also believe in, in uh, higher education and are very educated yourself. So who you know or what you know, which of the two would you say is more important and why? Who? Every single time. I fought it for years. I was like, wait, I'm the smartest person in the room, but nobody likes that. Mm, yeah, <laughs> That's right. what I had to learn the hard way. Nobody gives a crap about how smart people are. They care about how likable you are, how much you care, you know, how you treat them, how you speak to them. And I had to learn all that, Travis. Like I was, and I struggled with this for years and years and years. The people who didn't have a clue, literally did not have a clue what they were doing, but had incredible person, you know, personable skills. And, and could just win friends easily. Yeah. People would just fall all over them to, to do business with them. And I was like, but that person is a moron. They're not <laughs> going to do a good job. And, and they didn't, right? But none of that mattered. I had missed yeah. the point. Yeah, right, right. Which is back to what we're talking about, about the human connection, connection yep. with other people regardless. Peter, I, I can't thank you enough for coming on the show today. Before we wrap up, I got one quick final question for you before we move on to the next segment or the last segment. If you were to look back over your career at this point and see from a you know, 30,000 foot view, all the relationships and things that, that have come in and out of your life in that time period, do you have any stories that you could tell us where you had met somebody that maybe didn't think anything of it at the time, but turned into something that brought about a big opportunity or a big friendship or something in that regard? I mean, <laughs> there have been some crazy disasters in my career. I mean, clients you know, skipping out on a $200,000 bill, employees getting drunk at Christmas parties and throwing up in people's shoes. I mean, just like <laughs> wild things. You know, I bring those two up. Those are true stories for a reason. Both of those have turned into some of the most exciting opportunities that we now have at the company today. Hmm. You just never know. I mean, I've learned now that whole, I don't know if you know the story of like the, all these things happened to this farmer and, and the, the morals like, you know, whether it's good or it's bad, we have no idea. And so judging mm. things that happen to us for, or people that come into our lives for good and bad is a completely wasted exercise. Yeah. All things are neutral and your perception of those things is what makes them good or bad, right? Yeah. Because we, we honestly, we don't know. I mean, everyone's had that thing where like something bad happens and, uh, you know, years later, you're like, wow, thank goodness that happened. I wish I had known that then. And like, that's the thing yeah, we don't right. know. It's, it's part of what what honest, the three little words every CEO in my book loves. I don't know. Such an insightful conversation. I always say this at the end of my interviews, but I talk to such awesome people like you that I, I wish I could keep these things going, but we are running out of time. So I do want to move on to the last segment, something I like to call the random round. Just quick, random questions, quick, random answers. Ready? I think. I don't know. <laughs> All right. <here laughs> we'll we see. We'll, we'll give it a shot. <laughs> 
this first one is actually similar to the one that you mentioned earlier. What profession other than your own do you think that it would be fun to attempt? Oh, that's a good one. I've always been fascinated by finance. One of my alter egos either runs a hedge fund or yeah. works in the clandestine service of the CIA, like one or the other. I'm not sure. If you could sit on a park bench with someone past or present, chat for an hour, who would it be? Oh, probably Warren Buffett again and Charlie Munger. Yeah, they're just such brilliant people. How do you like to consume content? Books, audiobooks, blogs, podcasts, videos? I like variety. So I go hard in one direction, then I get burnt out and I switch. Give us a glimpse of your morning routine. Sleep too late. <laughs> um, get in, get Check. glaring looks from my wife who wakes up and goes to her uh, regular job. And then I learned about myself that I can't just like snap out of bed and be ready to go. I need to like get up and prop myself up and like look through my phone, see if the world, you know, has broken yet. All right. It hasn't. <laughs> Check email. Then I'll, I'll get up, play with the dog, get some coffee, ignore work for 20 minutes, and then finally sort of get myself into it. And that Allowing myself to have that breathing room has made me so much happier. What is your go-to pump-up song? Probably Champion by um, Carrie Underwood. There you go. Putting business aside, just in general, what's something that you're not very good at? (laughs) I thought this was a lightning round. How long do you have? (laughs) Gosh, I mean, I really had to learn the empathy thing. And now I'm very good at, but I'm still not good at sympathy. It's like, I understand mm. how you're feeling, but I just don't give a shit. <laughs> I need to get better at that. Oh man. Uh, that's going to be the quote of the show right there. Yeah. <laughs> As we get everything wrapped up here, Peter, what's one place online where our listeners can go to connect with you the most? Yeah. Head to uh, honest to greatness.com. It's honest to greatness.com. Once you get there, you can take the free 21 question honesty quiz, which will tell you how honest you really are. If you're brave enough to find out. That's completely free. It also gives you a free workbook to help you work through these exercises. And of course, please go get a copy of Honest to Greatness. Everywhere books are sold, uh, you know, Amazon's the most obvious one. Give them out to your friends and family. Just try not to hand a copy to someone with like a wink and be like, hey, you really need this one. That probably <laughs> will. So honesttogreatness.com. You guys know every time we recommend a book here on the show, be sure to go pick it out and grab it immediately. That way you do not forget. Just add it to your library. It's always good to have an ever-expanding library anyway. Even if you are reading a different book right now, go pick it up right now so you don't forget. And uh, I'm sure that you will be glad that you did. Peter, thank you so much for coming on the show today. This was a a lot of fun. I had a lot lot of fun talking with you. My pleasure. Thanks for being honest. Well, that's it for this episode. If you want to connect with me and other like-minded people who also listen to the show, And you're going to want to head over to travischapel.com slash group to join my free Facebook group, The Lounge. I'll see you over there. And remember to leave every relationship better than you found it. When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. Save big on your Memorial Day barbecue, all in the Kroger app. Get half gallons of delicious Kroger milk for $1.29 each. Then get flavorful Tyson Natural Boneless Chicken Breasts for two forty nine dollars a pound, all with your card and a digital coupon. Shop these deals at your local Kroger today, or tap the screen now to download the Kroger app to save big today. Kroger, fresh for everyone. 
Prices and product availability subject to change. Restrictions apply. See site for details.